Well, you know, it's another one of those emergencies. Pastor Calvin's not feeling well, and Saturday I woke up to an email asking for help with the Sunday sermon. Glad to help, but not because of any confidence uh, I have in giftedness of preaching. I've been around long enough that uh, that's not my gift. But I do have confidence in God. Experience has taught me that preaching is not a particular gift of mine. Calvin's a preacher. On the other hand, I find excitement in participating, in anticipating what the Holy Spirit will do today. I don't believe in random walks. We are here according to the will of God. So in my youth, that means a long time ago, I made a vow to say yes whenever I think I hear a call or feel a prodding from the Lord. So as to cover for pastor today, I gave my normal, if sometimes hesitant, response. Okay, expecting a personal encounter with God. Then there's obedience. The Apostle Paul admonished elders, and in fact, all believers to be ready. In 2 Timothy, Paul told Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his, and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, and with complete patience, teaching. And then Peter says to the church in general, to all believers, but in your hearts honor Christ, the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that you have in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So part of me is always ready to answer as you would be. Maybe not to stand in front of a congregation and share thoughts and teaching, but to be ready to talk about who God is and what God is to you. So I always have something to say, and here we go. I'm not going to plow new ground today. In fact, I want to return to a sermon that Pastor gave several weeks ago. If you're like me, you leave a Sunday with an impression. I don't take notes. I just, even in college, I was a terrible note taker. But I leave with impressions, and I carry those impressions with me for the rest of the day, for the rest of the week, for the rest of my life. Not conscious, but just an impression. But with, those, with that impression, I want to come back to this Romans 5, verses 1 to 6, and reinforce what I heard there. So I'm going to read it with you once again. I have a sheet out for each of you, and there's some amplifications in it. And the, let's look at it again together just for starters. Romans 5, verse 1, starting. Therefore, having been justified, okay, Justified, that's a word we'll skip over, but that means to be declared right with God. Justified, having been declared right by faith, by believing in God, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God. What does that mean? Through whom we have also obtained our introduction, we've gotten access to grace. Grace in which we stand and we celebrate or we boast in the hope of the glory of God. What does that mean? Boast in the hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we boast about our tribulations. 
our trials, knowing that tribulation has its result. Perseverance, character, and hope. And a hope that doesn't disappoint. So it, it reads well, but let's expand on it because it's so condensed. And this is a way that God wants you to think. This is how God wants us to carry ourselves in this world we find ourselves in. This passage is important to me, and it should be to you, because it tells you who you are. It tells me who I am, who I was. It tells me my place in this world. It's not a very nice world. It's a world full of uncertainty, full of danger, full of conflict, and yet chosen to know God, chosen to know his grace, chosen to be refined, chosen to take part in the glory of God. That's you. What does that mean? How does that inform the way I live? How does that inform the way I walk through life with odds, trickiness with odds, challenges with odds, issues with odds, disappointments? And yet God says, okay, this is what the world is like, but I want you to understand this about yourself and who you are. Okay. He's not exactly talking about the church as a whole, you know, some community. This is what this church should be. He's saying this is how you should be. Because in the end, all the trials, all the temptations are our own. How do we go through it? It's strange because uh, in this passage, Romans 6 always flips back to me and actually lays the foundation for everything he says. For we were still, well, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were weak. Another translation says, while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. The NIV says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Weak, helpless, powerless. This is what God has done for you. In all your weakness in this world, in all your helplessness in these times, in all your powerlessness to make changes in your circumstances, in your ungodliness, Christ died for you. Why you? I can't explain it. It's just so. In Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, Moses said, I think it's Moses, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the people who are on the face of the earth. Chosen out of all the people. Nothing special. God just chose you. Paul says in Ephesians, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even so, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. God chose you. He knew you before the foundation of the world. 
He knew all your thoughts, all the thoughts that you would have. He knew all your weaknesses. He knew all your helplessness. He knew all your powerlessness. He knew all your ungodliness. He knew it. And knowing that, for some reason, he chose you. And he chose you to be at peace with him. Therefore, having been justified or declared righteous, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You are no longer at war with God. God is not your enemy, and you are not his. This is an objective peace. Sometimes we live like we want to still be at war with God. God knows I live like that. But God is not at war with us. He seeks no victory over us. I was trying to think of a way to bring it real. And uh, I think of myself interacting with some kids that get into a little tantrum or hysteric. And really that's me, not the kid. And the adult in the room is God. And sometimes I'll just go bananas, where the, the kid would just go bananas and go into whatever his emotional state is and wants what he wants and feels what he feels. And the adult in the room says, relax. It's okay. It's going to be okay. I'm on your side. That's our peace of God. Sometimes we reject it. We don't want it. We, we, we don't understand that we're not war of God. But God is the adult in the room for us. And he says, it's okay. I'm with you. Relax. There's a subjective peace that comes from this peace of God. Specifically, specifically promised to us in John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let your hearts, let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. That's a subjective peace. You're a peace of God. You do not be afraid. And then there's a community of peace in Ephesians 2. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So together, with all the people that God has called, peace with God. Do you know peace with God? The peace is already yours. You and God are on the same side. Romans 5 again. Therefore, having been justified or declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have also obtained our introduction, our access to the grace in which we stand. You know, you kind of have to look at that phrase, the grace in which we stand, because in this word, Paul is using a stand that means stand firm. How do you illustrate it? Like a karate guy, legs apart, all balanced, standing firm, immovable, under the grace of God. God, God has called us to stand under his umbrella of grace. His favor, chosen by God, 
at peace with God under the umbrella of his favor always. But do you know this? I mean, do we walk around thinking, oh boy, you know, what's going to happen? I, I just, life is so not working for me. Whereas God wants us to be saying, you know, I'm with you. All the power and desire for goodness towards you exists even now, even in the midst of your challenges. However unfavorable you perceive your situation to be, you have been chosen by God to have access to God's favor, to have access to, to know his desire and ability to bless you. And from that, we celebrate in hope of the glory of God. We boast about our hope in the glory of God. If you understand that you've been chosen by God to believe, to be at peace with God, to have access to God's favor, that realization is a reason to look beyond our present circumstances, but to look forward to what we have to come. We celebrate or boast, not about ourselves. This is a different kind of boasting. This boasting is it well, I passed the test. I finally achieved a grade in calculus. I actually flunked it twice, but that's a different story. <laughs> but if I were to pass it, I would boast about it. I said, Jane, I passed this class. But this boasting is not from that. This boasting is about something we have nothing to do with. It's something that we look forward to that comes from God. It's not about boasting about ourselves, but we boast about what we anticipate to be our participation in the glory of God. Hope based on a certainty that Jesus rose from the dead, and so will I, and I will enter into the presence of God. I don't even know how to imagine this. Do I get a glimpse into the awesome sweetness and beauty of a newborn baby and say, oh, that's the glory of God? Do I picture the constellations and I say, oh, this is the glory of God? Think of mathematics, think of a DNA spiral, oh, this is the glory of God. As a result of my faith in God, I already represent the glory of God in this world, as well as in the world to come. I don't fully understand his glory, but God says our hope is our participation in this glory to come. Jesus reaffirms this in John. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through the word, that's us that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them even as you love me. So we've been, called to a, we've been called to a glory to come, but Jesus says there's also a glory that's in you now for the world to see, okay? So I ask you, when you walk around in this world in all your troubles, in all your circumstances, at school, at the office, in your marriage, in your family, do they see the glory of God in you? Inexplicable, unexplainable, but yet John says, Jesus said it was there in us, given to us by him. And then, when you walk around this world, do you see a hope of the glory to come? 
of God calling you to participate in his magnificence. magnificence. This is what the word of the God says. The word of the Lord says, celebrating, well, and then verse three gets a little harder. And, and not only this, but we also celebrate or boast about our tribulations. That's, that's a little awkward. Boasting about our suffering? Paul is challenging us to have a faith-based understanding of our suffering. Nothing in our lives is random. Nothing is without meaning. Everything in God is purposeful. Peter says, we who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, already to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, but now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that per perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Suffering has meaning. Our crushing has meaning. How we live through the crushing, how we live through the challenges, gives witness to the power and the glory of God. It sounds counterintuitive. But God then called us to be part of this world, to think like this world. He called us to have a whole different understanding of who we are and our relationship to the world and our relationship to him. Peter also says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, with himself, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Your suffering isn't unique. Your suffering isn't alone. But you know, suffering is very personal. And, and the, just to know that the whole world is suffering with us doesn't really help us. But what God wants you to know, to understand, is that your suffering is purposeful. Your circumstances are purposeful. God has purpose for you in everything you're going through. How you redeem yourselves in all those circumstances is how you understand yourself to be in the face of the God who has chosen you. Tribulation and suffering is normal. There's no promise from God that we would not have trials, illness, lost jobs, broken relationships, storms, earthquakes, war. The man and woman of saving faith knows that he or she has been chosen by God in all circumstances to be at peace with him, to experience his grace, and to participate in his glory. Faith in God transcends our suffering. And when we learn, and then we learn that we can endure. You know, you persevere, you trust God, you suffer, and then you end up saying, I can take it. I can take this. You know, this illness is not overwhelming me. This relationship is not overwhelming me. 
Nothing overwhelms me before God because I'm not of this world. And then we prove that we are men and women who can stand fast before all the world throws at us because our eyes are not on the world but upon God. And our hope of glory confirmed by the love of God we realize this within us in all circumstances. Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance proves our character. I am who I am, who God called me to be. I've withstood it. God does love me. I do have power of the Holy Spirit in me. Proven character. That's what your suffering is for. It doesn't seem good. In some ways it's not good. But it has a purpose. And having proven yourself, you have hope. And this hope doesn't disappoint because we look for, we, God has proven to us who he is and that means that his promise of looking forward to him and his glory is certain. And then we have in our hearts the love of the Holy Spirit. I recently had a long email from a young friend. He's 27 years old, so when I say a kid's a young friend, that means I'm pretty old. I'll be 77 in November. When I wrote back a letter to him, I said, you know, I had 50 more years of life experience than you. 50 more years of knowing people, of being in a church, of seeing wars, of having illnesses, of arguing with Jane, although we don't argue that much. 50 more years. Now, can you imagine that? Most of you aren't nearly even, you know, you haven't lived even that long. 50 more years than you. And I said, I, I can't give you any advice. I, I, I'm not like you. The longer I live, the less advice I have to give. As an example of one, that's all I am. Not to be put up as a model, because none of my life went according to plan. It just didn't. Every day was a new adventure. Life unfolded step by step, year by year, full of surprises, full of U-turns, full of barriers, full of overcoming, and a full measure of unexpected blessing. You know, in 50 years, I've seen where God has jumped into my unsavory, disorganized, unplanned life and said, I have a blessing for you. And it was enough to overcome everything that came on before. Early on, I was blessed. I was called to believe when I was six years old. I remember to this day the Sunday school teacher that had a presentation to primary kids about the great shepherd and how the shepherd saved the sheep and that we were the sheep and Jesus was the shepherd. Now, it's kind of early on. It's unsophisticated. But I tell you, that was the day I believed. But in retrospect, I've come to understand that God not only redeemed me from my sins, he not only redeemed me from my sins, he redeemed me from my mistakes. He had a plan for my life. All I had to do was to listen, even with half an ear. God didn't choose me because I made no mistakes. God knows I'm a dope. I know I'm a dope. I don't act like a dope in front of you, but I know I'm a dope. I do plenty of dopey things. I say all kinds of dopey things. I'm a dope. But I don't care because so are you. Each one of you are dopes as well. 
I mean, don't, don't try and fool me. I, I know, we're all doping. Come on. He chose me because he could show me his power to make things right. He chose me to be blessed in ways I needed to be blessed. He showed me how he was always faithful, even when I was not. He taught me how to rest in him when I have exhausted all my options. He proved to me that I am his. He built me to be who I am. I have found the faith I am called to be. I have found the faith I am called to a very good thing. I look forward to seeing God face to face and participating with each of you in the glory, the beauty, the magnificence that is God. You know, at, at 77, Jane and I don't talk about this much, but you know, we don't do things anymore because we've done them. <laughs> it's kind of done, you know. And so it's really about looking backwards and understanding what God has done. Now you all are still looking forward, but I want to assure you, because I can assure you, and Jane can stand here and assure you as well, that God has a plan, that you will look back and you will see, you know, through all of this, I've been blessed. God bless you. Let's pray. Yeah. Father, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to uh, talk together, to think together, to consider who you are and who we are in light of you. Lord, train our minds, train our hearts that we may live like who you have chosen us to be in the face of this world and all its trials. We pray this, Lord, in your son's name. Amen.